I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. Everybody's talking about school this fall. Will it open? Should it open? What will distance learning look like if that continues? Why is President Trump so adamant that kids go back to school? Joining me today is the Chronicle's education reporter, Jill Tucker, with all the latest news on the first day of school. Jill Tucker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to talk to you, if only virtually. So I know everybody is thinking about schools. Are they going to reopen? Are they not? It's become a very hot button issue nationally. So thought we could review where things stand today. A few more California districts uh, announced that they will be starting with distance, uh, distance learning, if you can kind of catch us up to speed on that. Yeah, so it, it this is uh you know I I I think I'm inundated every day with messages on Twitter and Facebook from friends and strangers desperate to know what's happening. Um and honestly, I wish I could tell every one of them exactly what's going to happen and when their kids will be back in their desks in school, but the reality is a lot of district officials still don't know. Um things are still changing every day and so even as we move forward, um, the uncertainty is is kind of overwhelming and a little scary for parents and for teachers and for administrators. Um, so we've been trying to keep track of, of some of the districts. Every district is making their own decision. Um, these mm-hmm. are this is local. So even though they have like say county guidelines uh, for for health and and other types of things. Uh, you're going to see something different in every district. And that's because, you know, every district is different. They have different facilities. They have different budgets. They have different needs for their students. Um, it, it, so there is no one size fits all for sure. And we have over 100 districts, districts just in the Bay Area. So you can imagine that, you know, literally everybody is all over the map. So, mm-hmm. you know, what we're seeing all, uh, right now, Oakland just announced their plans Um, They're going to start with distance learning and phase in in in-person learning. Um, They're going to be looking at at, uh, distance learning for at least four weeks, assessing where kids are, and then trying to figure out uh, a phased-in approach for who's going to be going back to school. Um, A lot of districts are really considering bringing in the kids with the highest needs first. That would mean like special education, English learners, um, foster kids, other types of kids. So we're seeing similar trends in many districts um, Mm -hmm. where they're starting with distance learning and then phasing in uh, in in-person learning. Um, The other trend that we're seeing actually is sort of a choice plan where a lot of districts are saying, okay, well, we're going to give parents a choice, like Berkeley Unified. Um, This is still pending. They haven't decided fully yet, but their proposal is giving parents a choice between a hybrid program where kids will be in class part-time or a full distance learning model. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, at this point, with, with with case counts going up and sort of seeing spikes everywhere, we're seeing kind of people walking back a little bit the idea of all kids back in school five days a week, even those that, that were floating that idea. Um, so, you know, folks are still, there's a lot of districts that still don't know. San Francisco, of course, is among them. We did hear today that Los Angeles and San Diego are online only when they start. Those are the two biggest, among the two biggest districts in the state. So they really often set the trend, uh, Mm -hmm. for districts across the state. So I would not be surprised if a lot of districts shortly follow suit. It seems like Marin is sort of the outlier, at least in the Bay Area, with still trying to do five days a week on campus. Are you hearing that? Yeah, you know, that's what they came out with, that the county superintendent wanted to do that. 
Um, a lot of districts kind of were weighing whether or not. And, and you know, places like Mill Valley that sort of came out really supportive of that um, are now taking a step back. They're having all of these sort of town halls and surveys and other types of things. Um, I think, you know, a lot of districts are getting pushed back from teachers and parents, um, you know, because it's scary right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, uh, I have a kid in college myself, so thankfully, you know, I'm not in the midst of this, but I was recently, you know, in, and can imagine the fear of sending your child back. Or if I were a teacher, you know, um, it, it's interesting because the, the governor just shut down, you know, in a lot of counties, um, all the uh, inside dining and haircuts and all of those types bars, of things. Yeah. yeah, right. Bars and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and yet we're still talking about teachers and kids, you know, a dozen kids with a teacher in a small room all day long. So I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of fear there. Um, and uh, schools are essential services, so they're not the same as bars or getting a haircut. Um, <laughs> although I think could... alcohol seems essential sometimes <laughs> these days. <laughs> well, yeah, and haircuts too, I will say that. But um, <laughs> no one should see, you know, anybody's hair right now, right? But um yes. But yeah, so it's, it's uh, you know, I think there's a lot of fear. There's still a lot of uncertainty um, and, and, you know, the number of people in hospitals and, and uh, it's, it's just, it's frightening. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty about what is the best thing to do. Just two weeks ago, uh, pediatricians and, and other health people and school officials and even the state legislature were really saying the top priority is to get kids back in school as, mm-hmm. as much as possible, right? And as safely as possible. Uh, but now, you know, given the spikes in, in case counts, um, everybody is sort of taking a second look at that. So it's, right. you know, I would I would have said two weeks ago that we would have seen a lot more kids in classrooms in the fall. And now I'm actually thinking that the bigger trend will be um, all, not unanimously, but certainly the majority will be distance learning uh, when, on the first day right. of school. Yeah. It seems like a contributing factor is also that they just don't have the money to buy all of the supplies they would need to open safely. I was looking at San Francisco's chart on, you know, what they have and don't have in terms of supplies. There's like one in eight thermometers they would need. They have one in eight containers of hand soap. So it just goes to show how underfunded so many districts are in California and that they can't even afford the basics that would be required to open safely. Right. And and it, it's not only the funding, although San Francisco has a $20 million deficit, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, they need nurses, they need hand soap, they need a, a lot of stuff. Uh, but a lot of these supplies are not there. There are back orders on um, computers, there are back orders on hand sanitizer, you know, masks, um, all these things that, that uh, they, you know, people have been sort of waiting for, they put in orders, uh, in the past and they still haven't gotten them or at least enough. Um, the state is trying to backfill some of that, like a 60 day supply, but that, that runs out pretty fast. So, yeah. So I think there's a lot of concerns. I, you know, the reality is if there was all the money and space in the world, you could probably pull this off. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, installing plexiglass between every student or, you know, making sure there are enough teachers and substitutes and all of these things that that need to and nurses to take temperatures or to help kids that aren't feeling well. I mean, if if a teacher, for example, if they're doing in person and the teacher's exposed, they're going to have to quarantine for 14 days. So what does that mean? Right. What does that mean for right. the kids in the classroom? Do they just go home and do distance learning because their teacher 
has to stay home for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's, there's so many questions and so many logistical issues with reopening that, that it really is going to take, um, not just money, but the, the ability of a district and the teachers union in that district and, you know, everything to sort of come together and do this, um, Herculean task of, of getting kids back in the classroom safely. And even then there's no guarantee that given the direction that we're going, that the governor or the state, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't lock down, uh, and shelter in place once again, like we were in the fall uh, in the spring. I mean that, you know, given when they locked down schools in the spring, the case counts compared to now were incredibly low. And so, uh, you know, you sort of go, well, we locked it down back then and now we're here. So what does that mean for classrooms and what does it mean for kids? Yeah. Um, and of course, this has become a huge political issue for President Trump and his um, education secre- secretary, Betsy DeVos. And which I think whenever they say something, the Bay Area's inclination is to want to do the exact opposite. So um, (laughs) maybe one reason why we're seeing more proposals to go distance learning. But um, she had an interesting kind of scary interview over the weekend um, on TV where they are continuing to demand that kids go back to school, threatening to cut funding if they don't. And yet they don't really seem to have any plans for doing that safely. So what is the reality of what the federal government can do? And why do you think they're latching onto this idea so much? Well, I mean, you know, the entire coronavirus has become a political hot button. It isn't just a health issue, as we know, you know, whether you're talking about masks or, or other types of things or reopening bars or, or, or beaches. Um, but uh, really, the schools have now been added to that list. And the idea of opening schools, um, you know, has sort of landed with the, um, you know, coronavirus sort of hoax mentality or it's just going to go away mentality. Um, and, and the president and DeVos have, have latched onto this, you know, basically saying we need, we need kids back in school. Now, interestingly, I will say this, that, um, that is the position of, of virtually, um, all, all, you know, politicians in California, they put it in a, in part of the budget bill that talks about schools. Um, and it basically is saying that, um, you know, the priority should be to get as many kids back into school, um, as soon as possible and as safely as possible. And so that all planning efforts should be looking at, a way to do that, right? If, if they possibly can. But the reality is there are caveats and, and it's in every district is going to be looking at their local county health departments for, for guidance. Um, the, the American Pedia, uh, American Pediatrician Association of Pe- Academy of Pediatricians. Sorry. <laughs> I need more I know coffee. What you mean. Those pediatricians. <laughs> there's, there's so many, so many organizations. Um, that the pediatricians, um, have said the same thing that they believe that, um, kids need to be in school for their health, for their safety, uh, for their emotional and social well being, that that is a priority, that, mm-hmm. that the risk, you know, you can mitigate the risk enough. Uh, to get kids back in school, which is where they belong. So, so the reality is a lot of people are saying that it's just that the Trump administration and Betsy DeVos are sort of skirting the idea of not only local control, but also, um, uh, 
you know, local health conditions, CDC Mm -hmm. guidance, you know, all of those things. So there there Mm -hmm. are so many caveats to the idea of getting kids back in school. And it isn't just as simple as saying, you must do it. Um, I I doubt very much that they can take away federal funding uh, if schools don't reopen, because they're still teaching kids, the schools are still technically, you know, they're still educating kids, they're just not mm-hmm. doing it in person. And then the reality is, it's, it's, I think, a very empty threat legally, um, they just wouldn't be able, I mean, this is, this is taxpayer money, it's not, you know, it doesn't belong to the federal government. So, um, you know, it, it, it's meant for education, and, and schools will still be in session, they just might not be in, in person. So I think, you know, there, there's a lot of threats, there's a lot of, uh, you know, craziness going on, a lot of politi- politicization of this. And, um, I, you know, it's frustrating, because I think everybody just w- wants to focus on what's best for kids and what's best for, for staff and teachers and parents, and try to figure out how, how we can make this work. And, you know, and then you have these crazy interviews of saying the CDC guidance is flexible and, or, you know, whatever it is that people are, you know, people want to say, just open them up or you're going to lose funding, which, you know, doesn't really, doesn't really help the local decision making. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth in Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm back with education reporter Jill Tucker on what school will look like this fall. And of course, there's the issue of teachers unions and many of these districts have yet to um, to even you know come up with an MOU or a new contract about how distance learning will work. I, I know a lot of teachers in San Francisco are kind of confused about what are they supposed to be doing day to day and haven't gotten any guidance about how to make it work. Um, what are you hearing about that? And now that we know many schools will start at least with distance learning, like what the expectations are? Yeah, so I mean, in Oakland, um, they they their plan as adopted right now is to start with distance learning and phase in. But the teachers union will quickly remind everyone that they have to agree to this, mm-hmm. and that they have to you know agree to the working conditions and and have a memorandum of understanding at some point um, that dictates all of these types of things. Um, you know, the reality is, let's remember, teachers are not working right now. Um, teachers' contracts are typically nine-ish months, 183 days usually, um, with a few days of, of planning and, and training included in that. Um, and right now, they're not, you know, most of them are not, you know, are not working. Um, mm-hmm. And so that doesn't mean that they're not paying attention. It doesn't mean that some of them are not participating in task forces and things like that. But, but um, you know, so the reality is it's the unions that are negotiating these things, Um you know, with their teachers. And, um, and, and in the spring, they had to do the same thing. And oftentimes, it took weeks or months for them to come to an agreement, even as kids were distance learning, you know, they were at home. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how long it takes to get this done. Because until the union, every district and their union come to terms, and that includes unions for other workers, too, like custodians, um, you know, then, then it's, it's, it'll be very difficult for them to proceed and, and start laying the groundwork for what that's going to look like or, or how to train the teachers to do this, um, things like that. I, you know, remember in the, in the spring, a lot of districts, including San Francisco, part of their agreement with the district, um, reduced the required hours of teachers to four hours a day. So, so it left very little time to train them 
or to have meetings or to, you know, they were very limited. The district and, and the teachers were limited in terms of what they could schedule and what they could, you know, do officially in terms of figuring out, you know, the best way to proceed. Um, you know, when you're on, when teachers are only required to work four hours a day and, and to be very clear, many worked, you know, four times that, right. Uh, working, you know, to try to figure out how to do it, but the district could not require, um, trainings or other types of things. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how folks proceed because until they have these agreements, it makes it very difficult for the districts to provide training or, or other types of things, um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of what they're going to do. I think folks learned a lot though. I, you know, I, I, I've heard a lot of terrible things about distance learning and I've heard a lot of good things or great things about distance learning. So it, it's, it's dependent on the school district and the teachers and, um, you know, and the kids, some kids thrived on distance, distance learning, you know, these quiet kids in the back, all of a sudden became the academic superstars, you know? (laughs) So, um, it really depends on the children, right. Too. So, um, it's a matter of trying to figure out the best way to educate all of these kids, um, you know, uh, using an online or, or a distance learning uh, method. And we, you know, we still have a long way to go to get kids, uh, all kids, computers and Wi-Fi uh, and, and things like that. So that's still a huge issue. Um, they made great strides in getting computers in the hands of kids and Wi-Fi, but there's still a ways to go um, yeah. in many, many districts, San Francisco and Oakland, you know, right at the top. It seems like one issue that will need to be sorted out um, will depend on the age of the kids, because I think in general, middle schoolers and high schoolers did better with distance learning because they already know how to work all the tech and can work on their own. But um, for little kids, it it was just, from what I heard, you know, from friends, kind of a disaster. And I can't imagine trying to start kindergarten online with brand new five-year-olds. Ugh, It just sounds like an impossible task. Doesn't that just break your heart, though, to think about it? Like, kindergarten is supposed to be like that moment where they just like, you know, make new friends and finger paint and read and sing <laughs> yeah. songs and um, sit cross-legged on the floor yeah. yeah and so and that you know obviously all of that even if they're back in class all of that sort of goes out the door you know anyway although you know the 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 health guidelines are really putting caveats with the younger kids that you know they want them to wear masks for example in you know San Francisco is talking about this wear masks but but you can be a little more lax on the socially distancing because keeping them away from each other is is hard keeping them to wearing masks these kids are already getting used to that um so so you can you know work on the hygiene and work on that stuff i think a lot of districts though and i'm seeing it in some places where they're looking at bringing back the young kids the elementary school kids um for in person even if or for hybrid you know types of situations even if the older kids are still doing distance learning so i think as people start phasing in in class learning whenever that is you'll see it with the early kids first um and and yet you know at the same time not to be debbie downer but you know in texas there are now just recent reports of more than a thousand um child care uh, kids in child care and staff um testing positive for COVID, um, you know, which it's throwing a wrench into this idea that the young kids are okay and that you can sort of do this childcare thing or you can do, you know, an in-class setting with the younger kids and it'll be okay. And now this, you know, big outbreak at childcare centers in Texas is still sort of having people go, well, wait a minute, maybe we don't want to do that. 
That said, in San Francisco, they're doing very well in the child care centers and the summer camps, at least knock on wood, as far as we know right now, everything seems to change every day. But um, but so far, every you know, they've been doing um, with with uh, safety precautions in place and masks and things like that, that it seems to be working with small groups and, and things like that. So so they're a lot more optimistic in San Francisco about the younger kids and about childcare environments. But still, it's scary. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Sure. I surveyed yeah. um, the YMCA Park Rec and Boys and Girls Club, who've all been offering childcare since March. And um, they've not had a single case in a kid. There were two reported cases in staff who quarantined and then were all right. From They apparently got it through community transmission rather than being you know, right. in the programs. So, right. And hopefully most of, most of those programs are outside a lot. So that's, you know, that's positive too, if they can get these kids outside uh, more for you know the educational process, rather than being in a, in a classroom with no windows opening, like, you know, it would be better that, you know, that I'm sure that's helping in the, these situations in San Francisco. Um, but still that's great news. I mean, that's like exactly the kind of thing that you want to see. You want to see precautions in place and it working, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of parents and teachers are wondering if they can hold classes outdoors, but I don't think the district has waited on that that I know of. Um, is that legal? Like, could a public school teacher hold a class in a park if she wanted to? Or uh, would that require some kind of, you know, authorization? I, You know, I guess, I'm sure it would require some authorization, but I mean, you could actually, um, I mean, they could designate a park you know, community building, for example, as the satellite location of a school like that, that you could do something like that. I think if they were going to walk to a park or something every day, they may have to get like, you know, field trips form signed or something like that. Um, But, you know, but they are talking about just using the school campuses as much as possible areas that are outside, if possible, maybe um, having childcare and other types. So kids may still be distance learning, but have mm-hmm. childcare offered at various locations. So, you know, whether it's Boys and Girls Club or, or the Y or the things that you're seeing right now for summer camp, if you could still offer those services while kids are distance learning, for example, um, you know, that's the type of thing that can help out working parents and essential workers and, and things like that, that, that need kids to be um, to have care of some kind or be in school. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of folks are trying to think creatively. Um, the clock is really ticking though. (laughs) It is. Uh, Well, that brings me to my last question. Any words of wisdom for parents who are, um, panicking and just freaking out about the upcoming year? I, I feel like, you know, somebody mentioned the other day that they just, every time they read one of my stories or hear something, they're just on the edge of their seat freaking out. And I hate to do that to parents, but so I think <laughs> it's my, not your fault. <laughs> so I think my advice is hang in there, you know, it, it's all going to be okay. And, and the thing is, is that kids are so resilient. We obviously need to focus on the kids with the most needs that are that are losing, you know, that are getting having learning loss and things like that. I don't mean to minimize that, but the reality is, you know, hang in there because this is this is a novel moment in history. This is changing the world as we know it, and I think we just, you know, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Um, kids are resilient. Um, you know, they'll remember this and they'll remember it the way that we all as adults deal with it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the more we can sort of just take one day at a time, I guess. 
Although yeah. I can say that as somebody that doesn't have a kid in K-12 and, you know, I would be freaking out. So I, you know, I, I apologize for <laughs> gi- giving advice that I wouldn't follow, but <laughs> that's my advice. I wish everyone luck. I just, you know, I, my heart breaks for parents out there that don't know and for teachers that are scared to go back and, um, yeah, you know, we'll all get through it. Let's hope. Well, it's a hard situation for everybody. Thanks for taking the time to talk about it today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to Jill Tucker for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. 